So hey guys, we're back with another podcast, and I say this every time, like I think you're going to love this one. I think you're going to love this one. And today we have Allison uh, Bunting. She is a volunteer archivist and a historian with the Empire Ranch. Now, we can't cover everything in the 45 minutes or so that this podcast goes on. And if you really want to learn more about the Empire Ranch the foundation, what's going on out at the Empire Ranch, the history of the ranch. Uh, you can do so by going to EmpireRanchFoundation.org. Uh, That's EmpireRanchFoundation.org. And make sure that you find the history button and start at the very top and work your all the way down, all you all the way down into present day, because the history of the Empire Ranch is insane. So um, if you aren't sure where the Empire Ranch is, it's down by Sonoida. It's between Tucson and Sonoida. Um, I usually come into the ranch through uh, the Sierra Vista side and, uh, and come up through uh, the Wetsons and, and then through Elgin a little bit. And then I come down to Sonoida and then there's a major right turn. I can't remember the, what's the, what's the highway number that we turn on? That's Highway 83. 83. So we, I go up 83, and then there's a sign that says Empire Ranch, and it's just, I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to the beauty of the ranch. It's crazy. So we're going to be talking to Allison. You just heard her there. And if you want to know more, again, uh, go to EmpireRanchFoundation.org. Now, of course, all of this is made possible through some awesome partnerships, and one is the folks over at the Tombstone Epitaph. Now, again, you, I, I talked to you about a newspaper. You hear it on my, my podcast. I love the feel of a newspaper delivered to my door where I can read it, I can feel it, and I can be a part of history. And the best way to be a part of Arizona and Tombstone history is to become a subscriber to the Tombstone Epitaph. Now, one year is 25 bucks. Two years, 45, three years, 60. If you do the three years, you save $15, you get great value, and they're going to deliver it right to your door. The guys over there, the folks at the Epitaph, will make sure that you're on their mailing list, and they'll mail it to your door. This month, I think it is White Earp in Seattle. And of course, you get Bob Bo's Bell in the center section. He puts his artwork in there. It's all in color. It's so beautiful. Um, I, I just can't urge you enough. So look at the Tombstone Epitaph uh, as a subscription. And that you can find that at tombstoneepitaph.com. Uh, I also want to thank the folks of the Wild West History Association. Uh, you can find out about them at wildwesthistory.org. Um, I'm a member. I'm not sure if Allison's a member. Are you Are you guys a member? Probably not. No, we're not. Okay, that's okay. I'll have to look into it. There you go. She almost got hung up on. Um, that's that's not true, Allison. I would never hang up on you. Because um, <laughs> I'm afraid of Allison. Allison's a, she's a tough lady. And so if you want to become a member... One year is 75, two years 125, and three years is 175. Now, I interviewed Donna Harrell, and we were talking, and she made a really great comment, which is the cool thing about the epitaph is the journal, not the epitaph, but the Wild West History Association is the journal. And the journal is a quarterly publication, and it's basically it's a book. So every quarter, you're getting a book. So it's about 19 bucks a book, which is super cheap because there's no advertisements. And it's, it's jam-packed. It's like 110 pages of solid Western history with true research and provenance. And you get so much there. And you get the ability to connect with your favorite Western writers and historians. That's why I 
join because I like to connect with them. And there's just so much there. It is a quarterly publication, and you get uh, some cool stuff. Like we're having the the, uh, the roundup is going to be up in Deadwood City this year in July. It's four to five days of just solid history, and we're taking a tour bus, and we're going over to Mount Rushmore, and we're going to go up to Deadwood and see Mount Moriah Cemetery. And, oh, my God, it's so crazy the things that you can do with the Wild West History Association. And I urge you to join and become a member like I am, and you can do so at wildwesthistory.org. So I am a huge fan of the Empire Ranch. It's it's not that I'm a fan of what goes on. I'm I'm a fan of the beauty. And and I, I told Allison this, and we've spoken a couple of times, about the beauty of the ranch and the vastness. Like, there's a road that goes into the ranch, and it goes up to the ranch headquarters. But there are also little breakaway roads that go out into the ranch. And I'll take my truck and drive out to those breakaway roads and go to areas where there's not a lot of people or if any people at all and put out my chair and enjoy the vastness. Like I'm not really looking at anything in specific. I'm looking at the ranch as a whole because the beauty and the nature and the rolling hills of Southern Arizona, the high grasslands in Southern Arizona. And if you get a chance to go when the grasslands are green, it is, it's sensory overload. But at the same time, it's a very historic ranch, and it's a major part of Arizona's history, and in some cases, other states as well where the ranch was involved in, including a lake out in Temecula that I didn't even know about. I mean, I knew about the lake because I used to fish there with my dad for with bluegill in the 70s, but I didn't know that the ranch was, the lake was part of the ranch and it was a creation of so there's so much history, and I want to welcome Allison. Welcome. Thank you. I'm and, happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you said that because it's a Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, you're a historian and an archivist and also the uh, lead docent in the ranch. How did you get involved with the ranch? Well, when my husband and I moved from California to Sonoida, we built our retirement home here. My training is as a librarian, and I was first approached by a member of the board of directors of the Empire Ranch Foundation to see if I could help organize the archives of the foundation, which were basically boxes that kept being moved from part-time administrators' garages, um, in sequence. So I agreed to do that. And in doing that, I became very interested in the history of the ranch and subsequently became involved with the foundation and um, concentrate most of my time doing historical research. I am the docent coordinator, so I train the docents who give tours of the ranch on the second and fourth Saturdays of every month at 11 o'clock, and then prepare historical materials for publication, mostly on our website. Mm. The the section of the website that you were referring to, Mike, um, the history section, um, a lot of the detail that is there 
was the product of activities that we did when the COVID-19 pandemic first broke out, and we weren't able to host in-person events at the ranch. So I started doing daily postings on Facebook to keep our members connected and then transferred a lot of that information to the website so that it's there for people to read. So you can really follow important or even minor um, points of the history of the ranch starting in the 1870s up till present day. And if you want to find that again, I'm, and I'm going to really emphasize this website because there's so much there and it's not a quick visit unless you, you know, you just pop in and out. But if you sit down in a comfortable chair and go through it, it would take you a couple of hours. And again, that's the empire ranch foundation.org. Um, there's so much there. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about the history of the ranch to give you a quick overview. And again, 45 minutes is never enough to talk about a specific topic, especially something so big as the ranch. So I, we urge you, Allison and I, we both urge you into checking out the website. The, the ranch really got going because of, of a couple of people having a discussion. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I hope you do, because that's how we learn. You correct people when they're wrong. That's how we learn. The couple of people, but there were entities and groups of men and people, and eventually it dwindled down to two men, Walter Vale and Herbert Hislop. And these two men decided right around July, the beginning of July, 1876, that we're going to take a trip from Los Angeles and we're going to head to Tucson to start looking for an area to build a ranch and to make money. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yes, Walter Vale was from New Jersey, and Herbert Hislop was from London, England. And they both were interested in making their fortune in cattle ranching in Arizona. And Walter Vale's uncle, whose name was Nathan, connected the two of them. Um, both young men who had never done any cattle ranching, but they were game to try it out. Hmm. And the trip was long because I read in there that was to leave Los Angeles and then eventually get to the Tucson area. It was like a week's trip. Now, I've driven that before. You know, you can do it in a day. It's a long day. But it took them a week to get there, they even had to take a ferry in Ehrensburg to go across the Colorado River because the bridge wasn't there. So they take a, a bridge that we take for granted now. In fact, I'll be there next week. That we take for granted, they had to take a ferry. And right around July 13th, the two of them arrive in Tucson and start looking at ranches and visiting ranches and, and seeing and some of the ranches with a fish ranch, uh, the Rincon Ranch, the Happy Valley Ranch, a lot of them they stayed at. What was their driving force? Like, what were they looking for? Well, they were looking for good pastures that um, they could graze the cattle in. And I think they were also looking for water. So that was a very important factor. And the ranch that they ended up 
selecting was the Fish Ranch, as you mentioned. It was a 160-acre homestead, which was located adjacent to the Empire Gulch, which is a tributary of the Sienega Creek, which supplied ample water for their ranching operations. So that was probably one of the most important features. There was also on the property a four-room flat-top adobe house, which wasn't totally completed. So like it had openings for windows and doors, but no windows or doors in them. But it was 160 acres that had been homesteaded and proved up, and it was then sold by a man named E.N. Fish, who was a major Tucson businessman. And you could say that he got that ranch on speculation and sold it as soon as he was got title to the land and was able to do so. When you spoke about the Cienega and the water, is that the river that runs parallel to the 10? Is that it? No, no. The Cienega Creek runs north-south. Um, oh. It or actually south to north, and it runs up, you could say it's more or less parallel to Highway 83, and it ends up in the Vale area and dumps into, it's one of the water sources for the city of Tucson. So today, the Empire Ranch is on what is called the Los Cienegas National Conservation Area, and the creek runs through most of, well, through all of the LCNCA, as we call it, and then um, kind of comes into the area of Marsh Station or Vale, if you're familiar with those exits from I-10. Right, or Pantano, the ghost town of Pantano. Right, right. When... When they purchased the initial 160 acres, and this may be a loaded question, they they purchased the 160, was there buyer's remorse? Did they look at it Never. and say, oh my God, we totally screwed up? Never. Yeah, no, they, they were very, very happy with it and set out to expand it. They needed, it was imperative for them to add additional acreage because in an arid climate like Arizona, it's very difficult to make a living ranching on only 160 acres. Mm. So um, what they did, it was turned out to be primarily Walter Vale, is they tried to purchase as much acreage as they could adjacent to the Cienega Creek as it ran north from where the Empire Ranch headquarters is located. And by doing that, they were able to control a lot more acreage because if they could, if they owned what was adjacent to the creek, they could then graze to the east or west of the creek and no one else would be interested in that land because they wouldn't have access to water. Hmm. The The first partner, Herbert Hislop, mm -hmm. 
did leave after two years. Uh, he primarily left because there were some issues back in London that he had to deal with financial family issues. And he was also a bit concerned about some of the neighbors who he felt were being um, pretty unfriendly, basically trying to graze their sheep on the Empire Ranch's land. And it was a rough and tumble time in 1876-1877 because it was the period of time when the Apaches were doing a lot of raiding in the area and there wasn't a great deal of military protection for the ranchers in the Sienega Valley. So why the name then, the Empire Ranch? Because if his slips out of the way, he, the Vales could have very easily said, we're going to make this the Vale Ranch and name it after ourselves like most people do. Why the name Empire? We don't really know for sure. Um, I should mention that there was actually a third partner who joined not long after Vale and Hislop purchased the ranch. His name was John Harvey. And he stayed on a little bit longer than um, the um, than Herbert Hislop. Some people say it was because it was close to the Empire Mountains, which are a little bit north of the ranch. Um, other people in accounts that we read say that Walter was determined to establish an empire. So we don't know for sure, but the name Empire Ranch did stick. I like the second one, that he <laughs> wanted to establish an empire, because he really did do that. He was groundbreaking, really, in what he was doing. I mean, there was ranches all across the western United States, but you know, to do what he did in, in Arizona, southern Arizona, was, was groundbreaking. Like you said, he... He mentioned he went from 160. He went from 160 acres. He started buying up ranches. He moved into the ranch into over 100,000 acres. What ranches did he purchase to get to 100,000 acres? Well, a few examples of ones that were kind of along the Sienega Creek was one was called um, the Stock Valley Ranch. It was owned by a man named Don Alonzo Sanford, who was an entrepreneur just like Walter Vale, trying to establish ranching operations. But they also eventually bought the Pantano Ranch, which was north of there. They bought some holdings from a man named Roland Richardson, who was one of the founders of the little town of Patagonia, hmm. um, which is southwest of the Empire Ranch. He had a very big ranch called the Pennsylvania Ranch. They purchased that Happy Valley Ranch, which you mentioned, which they had looked at back in 1876. And Walter Vale and his family also entered a lot of homestead claims uh, for additional property. So um, they also purchased the Gardner Ranch, which was in Gardner Canyon, and um, a, a ranch called the Sienega Ranch, which was owned by one of Sanford's brothers. So when, whatever they could, um, trying to get contiguous 
uh, land holdings that they could use for grazing. Were they only in Arizona at this time focusing, or were they also looking at other areas? Well, they were primarily only in Arizona, but starting in about the late 1880s, they uh, noticed that Walter Vale began to become concerned about overgrazing that was going on in Arizona. And he began to look at pastures in California. So he first, um, he ended up with a California partner and he first leased what is called Warner's Ranch near Warner Hot Springs that you would know today in the San Diego um, area. Mm -hmm. And then um, eventually about 1886, he decided to move his um, corporate headquarters from the Empire Ranch in Arizona to Los Angeles. Partly that was, I think, also because he and his wife, Margaret, had seven children, six of whom were born when they were living at the Empire Ranch. And it was getting time where they needed to be closer to schools. So I think because he began expanding land holdings in California and the children's schooling needs, they moved to Los Angeles and ended up acquiring quite a few ranches in California, the one you mentioned in the Temecula area. And then they also, they had a a short period of time where they grazed cattle on Catalina Island, Um, but they eventually purchased Santa Rosa Island, which is one of the... um, Channel Islands off of Santa Barbara, where they had a big ranching operation. It's crazy. So they're doing all this. I'm going to go backwards a little bit. They're doing all this. Mm -hmm. They're buying up land. And around 1879, silver deposits are found on an area of the ranch, and the total wreck mine is founded or formed. Tell us about that, because that's a crazy story. Right. So one of their cowboys um, noticed some what he thought were silver-bearing formations. This is in the Empire Mountains, um, just north of the Empire Ranch, and um, they filed claims on it, and they called it the total wreck mine because the rocks were all scattered about and it looked like a total wreck. Mm. Um, It proved to be a very successful mine, which they operated from about 1880 to 1887. It produced over $500,000 in income for the Empire Land and Cattle Company. And that, of course, was... Um, provided some of the revenue that they were able to use to expand the ranching operations. At a certain point in time, the there was actually a little city where the total wreck mine was located, and um, it was a really booming operation. Walter Vale's older brother, Ned Vale, came out to be the assayer and 
kind of supervise all of the mining operations. And it was a godsend for them in terms of financing. But something happened at the mine that I found not amusing because it's, it's horrible, but the mercury that they were using in the mining operation, the chemicals they were using, got into the water source and got into the cattle. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, they did have an incident where they lost some cattle because of the outflow from the mine. And there was a mention in there that the cows, the cows that were alive, they were acting like crazy, like for mercury poisoning. Apparently, yes. There were some letters that described that particular tragic occurrence. So the mine plays out, no longer producing money, producing revenue. They close up the mine. Is the mine still there? Because I've heard people... The road in and out is really bad. You need four-wheel drive or UTVs. Um, is the mine still there? Is it still part of the ranch? The mine is still there. Um, it's actually now on private property. Um, but you can access it from within Los Angeles National Conservation Area. You can get to sections of it. Um, the mine was above... The Sienega Creek was the water source for it. And so parts of where they pump the water up to the mine, that is still part of Los Sienega's conservation area. The mine itself is in private property. The Vales kept the mine for many, many years and periodically tried to open it up again or did open it up again because there were new ways of extracting silver from it. But it never proved uh, to be very um, remunerative at that particular time. So it was not successful, and eventually they sold it. Because I know a lot of people talk about the total wreck, and it's a place that I would love to go see, but like you said, it's on private property, and most of it now is just rocks. Right, um, right. Was there anything else that happened at the Empire Ranch in the late 1800s that was so significant it changed the ranch or or helped in the operation and the, and the creation make things better? Or were the 1800s, the late 1800s with the total wreck, was that the highlight of the late 1800s? Um, well, the other major historical event was the coming of the railroad to Tucson. Mm. Um, that happened, I believe it was 1881. Don't hold me to that. But as soon as um, the railway came into Tucson, it allowed and continued on east, it allowed all the cattle ranchers to be able to consider shipping their cattle to other places. So the Empire Ranch primarily became a breeding operation after Walter Vale moved his headquarters to Los Angeles. So they would breed the cattle at the Empire, and then they would ship them by rail to the California ranches, and there they would fatten them 
and then they had access to better markets to sell the finished product. They also had some land in um, the Midwest, and they would ship the cattle that direction as well to fatten and then take them to market in places like Kansas City or Chicago. So if you hear us that we're breezing through, we are in a way. The, the, the hope is, for Allison and I, is that you'll go to the website, theempireranchfoundation.org, and really dig deep into the history. Because there is hours and hours and hours of reading and really absorbing what you're going to read because it's a very detailed website with tons of photos. If you're like me, I like to read and see photos. And so there's tons of photos there. And the, the folks, including Allison, have done a phenomenal job on the website. And again, it's empireranchfoundation.org. Go there, learn more about the ranch, learn about the uh, the opportunities still at the ranch. There's opportunities you know, for uh, history and recreation. There's just so much to do at the Empire Ranch. As the late the 1800s, they kind of, they, they go away. We get into the 1900s. The ranch continues moving forward, but there were some significant changes in the 1900s. In 1910, a fire breaks out at the ranch headquarters, and y'all lost a lot of buildings. Can you go through that? Sure. Um, 1910 um, was a, a year when the fire uh, broke out. It just so happened, fortunately, that there was a group of soldiers from Fort Huachuca who were camping at the Empire Ranch. They were on their way back from Tucson. And I can mention that the Empire Ranch was in a location where people who were coming from, say, the Sierra Vista or Elgin area, it was always a good stopping point. So the soldiers had um, were camping overnight. The fire broke out. We're not sure what caused it, but it might have been in one of the wooden structures, the farrier shop that was on the east side of the original branch house, which is all adobe. And thankfully, because the soldiers were there, they were able to save the main ranch house and most of the adobe hay barn, which still stands, mm-hmm. um, was undamaged. Uh, you can go inside the adobe hay barn and you can see that there are adobe bricks that are scorched. So we think that they may well have lost lost the loft and some of the parts that were in there. So they mostly lost outbuildings, but it was a very scary time, and they were thankful that they had the manpower there to help them put that fire out. The other thing I think we should mention of the 1900s is that in 1906, Walter Vail died. He was killed when he stepped off a streetcar in Los Angeles. And um, it was pretty ironic that a man who had survived all the difficulties of the 1800s in Arizona 
was killed by a civilized contraption, the streetcar. He um, did not have a will. Um, his sons, who were just young men, teens, early 20s, and his wife, Margaret, took over management of the Empire Land and Cattle Company, which included the California ranches and Arizona. And one of his sons, a man named Banning Vale, was sent to Arizona to manage the Empire Ranch. So he was there at the Empire Ranch when that fire took place. Um, and he managed the ranch until 1928 when the Vale family decided it was time to sell the Empire Ranch and focus on their California holdings. Well, I want to go back a little bit. Okay. I do want to go back to Banning because Banning becomes a manager of the ranch. His name is Banning Vale. He becomes a br- the ranch manager in 1912. And he was very young when this happened, I believe, right? 27? Yes, yes. And, but he was also very significant to the ranch because he built, he built a lot of structures around the ranch in the rebuilding process after the fire. And he was really active as a manager. He didn't just manage from an office and point fingers. He was out building things in the ranch like he built a hay barn and he built double-sided water troughs for the cattle i mean he was instrumental in the really like a major rebirth of the ranch correct that's correct and he married a local tucsonan a woman named delora perry and they had three children who were all raised on the empire ranch the oldest child uh, young woman named Laura was known as Dusty, and she really participated a lot in ranching, banning, as you mentioned, was very hands-on, always involved in the ranching. And the kids, um, even though they were quite young, six, seven, eight, would often participate in things like roundups and other activities at the ranch. Because that's why I really wanted to fo- focus and have it go back to Banning. Because Dusty's involved, and now Dusty is growing up onto the ranch. And and Banning was just so, like, it was just such a breath of fresh air because he was so involved in the day-to-day, not, like I said, sitting in an office in Los Angeles and or doing whatever. He's living at the ranch. So it's, a, it's, it's probably a breath of fresh air to the folks at the ranch to have a veil back in charge that is so actively involved. Absolutely. And actually, a lot of the Vale family members, the Bannings brothers, and even some of his sisters, would come regularly to the ranch and help out. So the whole family loved to come back, I think because those kids grew up, their early childhood years were on the Empire Ranch. So it had fond memories for them. And so they would come and help during the extra busy times at the ranch, such as when they might be rounding up the yearling cattle to ship them to Los Angeles. As we start progressing into the 1920s, because 
I want to focus, if, if people are like, oh my gosh, we're already in the 1920s. The reason is, is I want to focus as we get into time and the latter part of the ranch, how the ranch becomes involved with the BLM. And that's the Bureau of Land Management. In the 1920s, a Hollywood movie star shows up at the ranch in 1927 and Will Rogers shows up at the ranch. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, the Vale family, when they moved to Los Angeles, they were, you know, very well off. Um, they lived in Pasadena and the kids went to a lot of the very exclusive private schools in Los Angeles. So they were quite well connected. And um, some of the Vale boys were actually close friends with Will Rogers and played polo with him. You may know that Will Rogers had a big polo field in his home in the West Los Angeles area. And so when uh, Will Rogers was traveling around doing some of his performances, when he came to the Tucson area, he would often get together with Banning Vale because they knew each other. And that's how um, there were introductions to look at this ranch property, this might be a good place to film a movie. But was his, I think his last silent film was filmed at the ranch, was it not? Um, It might have been. I'm blanking right now on that, but well, I picked it off you your website. Read that in the history thing; it probably was true. Yes, I know there was one of his uh, films was filmed at the ranch, and then also, I believe, in other areas in southeastern Arizona. So, a year later, after Will Rogers' visits in 1928, it's determined that we're going to sell the ranch. We've made our money. We want to go elsewhere, do other things. And the Boyce family shows up and purchases the ranch. Correct. How did that come about? Okay, the Boyce family was a very prestigious ranching family in Arizona. And before that, they started ranching, the patriarch of the Boyce family, Henry Boyce, um, began involvement in ranching in Kansas and Missouri. And he had come out um, to manage what was called the Chiricahua Cattle Company in the Sulphur Springs Valley. And um, They were ranching in that area, and they ran a lot of their cattle on the San Carlos Indian Reservation, which, um, with a lease, a government lease. What happened was that the government decided that they would no longer lease Indian land or reservation land to non-Native Americans, and so they needed to find another place to run their cattle operations. So the three boys' brothers, Henry, Jr., Frank, and Charles, bought three ranches. They were looking around for places to put their cattle, so they bought 
the Empire Ranch from the Vale family, and that was in 1928. They bought a ranch called the Rail X Ranch, which is south of the Empire Ranch, more or less between Sonoida and Patagonia. And then they bought the Aravaca Ranch, which is on the west side of the San Torita Mountains in the Green Valley area. And the middle brother, Frank Boyce, and his wife, Mary, came to the Empire Ranch to manage the Empire Ranch. And so they got all of this is going on, and we're going to really fast forward here in this one, because the ranch goes through a major significant change in the 1970s, and Gulf America shows up because Gulf America Corporation shows up as did they buy the ranch? They did. Um, the Boyce family sold the ranch to Gulf American Corporation in 1969. And Gulf American Corporation was a real estate development company that um, planned to create a large housing complex on the property that the Empire Ranch occupied. They are the same company that developed an area of southeastern Arizona called Rio Rico, mm -hmm. which is more south of the Green Valley area. Mm -hmm. And they were noted for selling property to people back east for buy your 10 acres, build your dream home. And then people would come out and find that there were, there was no infrastructure. There was no water. There was no electric or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So the community of Sonoida and also Pima County, Tucson, were quite concerned about their plans to install this large development. So they... They sell to Gulf American, and they're quickly realizing through whatever the process is that this housing track is not going to go. And instead, but, a company called Animax shows up. Correct? Right. What, what happened was, and I should mention that when um, Gulf American purchased the property, they continued to lease the land to the Boyce family for ranching mm. while they were making their plans for their development. And what happened to Gulf American is that there were a lot of uh, roadblocks put in their way by Pima County um, in terms of how, what kind of density they could build, all of these things. And I think financially they got into trouble, not just with the Empire Ranch property, but their Rio Rico holdings. So they decided to sell the land and they sold it to Animax Mining, which really wanted the land for its water potential. Mm -hmm. And they did and really Animax, good at it. I mean, was, I think they sold it for $12 million or bought it for $12 million. Something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So they did pretty well on the purchase. Yes, yes. And Animax um, continued it as a working ranch in the sense that they um, continued to lease the land for ranching. They 
Animax discontinued the lease with the Boyce family and brought in a rancher named John Donaldson, who had a leasing arrangement with Animax to ranch on the Empire. Hmm. So as Animax is going through their purchase and their releasing back, somewhere a decision was made to protect the ranch, I would assume, that we can't let this go back to another Gulf American where they're going to subdivide out the properties. And the and the county is looked at as a purchase, or the BLM? Explain that. Could you? Sure. Um, when um, Animax purchased the property, and then their business started to change, they were interested in the, as I mentioned, the land for water. And what they were thinking about opening was what is today known as the Rosemont Mine. They would have uh, supplied copper mine water for that copper mining operation. The price of copper dropped and mining sort of went into a slump. So Animax decided they were going to sell the property. Pima County was very interested in trying to purchase the property so they could create open space, but they weren't quite able to get everything organized to do that. In the meantime, with the help of Congressman Jim Colby, who was the congressman for this area at that time, the Bureau of Land Management was also interested in seeing if they could arrange for some sort of a land exchange which would allow the Bureau of Land Management to obtain the property where the, the Animax owned in exchange for property and other places in the state. And that was arranged, and in 1988, the land became part of the Bureau of Land Management. And it was at the time called the Empire Sienega National Conservation, Empire Sienega Conservation Area. Mm -hmm. And then in 2000, with, again, the help of Jim Colby, the whole area was designated Los Sienegas National Conservation Area, which theoretically preserves the land in perpetuity. Because that's where we're at today. Is are, do the Vales come by? Does anybody in the Vale family come by ever and like get to stay in the house for the weekend or or is it so owned by the BLM that that won't happen again? Well, it's so owned by the BLM that the ranch house itself would not be an appropriate place for anybody to stay because, for example, there's no power or water mm. to it, or there's very little power to it. Um, the water has been shut off as a preservation aspect of it. But the Vale family is actually still quite actively involved through their participation with the Empire Ranch Foundation. The foundation was established in 1997 when... Um, local people especially became concerned about the deterioration of the ranch headquarter buildings. 
when the BLM received this huge amount of land and these historic buildings with it, they didn't really have the resources or the funding to um, pay attention to the historic structures as they might have wanted. So the foundation was established and began to work in concert with the BLM to protect and preserve the buildings. We have um, Dusty Vale's daughter, for example, who lives back east, is somebody who works on the Empire Ranch Foundation newsletter. So she actively participates that way. One of Walter Vale's great-grandsons, a retired veterinarian from California, Tim Vale, is a member of the board of directors of the foundation. So um, the Vales are quite active and involved through the foundation. And then let's talk about today. Because the ranch decided or the foundation decided, or whoever, to open up and create their Cowboy Day Festival, which not only celebrates cowboy history, but celebrates the ranch itself. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, You're talking about our Cowboy Festival, which is always held the first Saturday and now Sunday in November. And so... We view that event as a way to celebrate the heritage of the ranch and of ranching and cowboys in southeastern Arizona and also make friends for the ranch so that people know that the ranch is there. It can be visited at any time because the ranch house itself is always open. It's not locked. Um, But we have during the day... Uh, arena events with demonstrations like B Troop from Fort Huachuca comes and does military precision riding. Um, We have the BLM Wild Horse and Burro program. People come and show what they do to rehabilitate the horses and burros that then can be adopted. We also have sessions that we call Cowboy Conversations, where people talk about the history of southeastern Arizona or Vale family history or Boyce family history. We have music and vendors and all kinds of activities. So it's a really fun day for the entire family. And so you can find all of that on the Empire Ranch Foundation website, And that's EmpireRanchFoundation.org. We only have a little bit of time left. Uh, Allison, it's gone by. It's been 50 minutes already. Right. It's very fast. Very fast. What is the direction of the ranch? What is the future of the ranch? Are there plans or to do anything different with the ranch? Or is it to leave it the way it is, don't mess with a great thing, and make it so that, and this is me saying this now, and make it so that someplace in southern Arizona you can go to and see Arizona the way it was in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. Like, is that the plans, or are there plans for the ranch in a different way? 
No, those are basically the plans, um, especially for the historic ranch house, I'm which um, will stay the same. We try to add interpretive exhibits and more information. But there are some plans. There is a structure as part of the Empire Ranch headquarters, which we call the new ranch house. It was a house built in the 1950s for Pancho Boyce, one of the sons of Frank and Mary Boyce. And it's currently inaccessible. We are hoping to raise funds to remodel it into what we will call a Western Heritage and Education Center. And it will be a place where we will have a meeting room, um, place for the foundation to conduct its business, and also probably have two or three bedrooms that might be able might be able to be rented out to either scientists who come down and pursue science projects on the Los Angeles Conservation Area or birders, or maybe if a Vale family member wants to come back and visit. So that is one of our big uh, goals for the future. And if they, if somebody wanted to donate, where could they donate? They can donate on our website, um, which you have mentioned is empireranchfoundation.org. And you can join, become a member, which we really welcome. That helps us do the preservation and maintenance of the Empire Ranch House. You can donate to our new Ranch House Fund for that particular project. So we welcome participation by others. The other activity that we have, which a lot of people who live in the area enjoy, is we have monthly volunteer work days on the first Saturday of most months. And we do minor maintenance on the ranch house. We clean the ranch house, try to keep up the grounds around the ranch house. So it's there for people to visit. So it sounds like it's a great thing. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff going on. For me, it's the vastness. It's the rolling hills. It's the watching the grass roll back and forth with the wind. If you guys get a chance, I mean, I really urge you to go down to the Empire Ranch. The area, too, to stay, you can stay in Tucson. If you're listening to this, where would I stay? Well, you can stay in Tucson. There's, as uh, I don't think there's any hotels to stay in in Sonoida. Um, there is some great restaurants and wineries in Sonoida. Uh, between wine, between uh, Sonoida and Elgin, there are some amazing wineries that you're going to want to check out. So come get some history. And if you like wine, Southern Arizona is, is, is just exploding with what's going on in Cochise County over towards Wilcox with some wineries. Uh, some wineries are down near McNeil, Alfreda. And really, in Elgin, Sonoida is some of the best wineries around. I, I, I don't drink wine. I like the process and I like supporting businesses. So I go down and that's why I'm advertising to really go down and spend some time in Southern Arizona, stay some a little bit in, uh, stay in Tucson or stay over in Sierra Vista, some great hotels over there, and then come back, spend some time with the ranch, um, spend some time in Sonoida, visit some of the wineries in Elgin. I think you're gonna love the area. If you really want to get involved with the ranch, you can do so at empireranchfoundation.org and you can become a member and you can donate your time. And if you want to become a docent and maybe a volunteer with the ranch, you're going to want to get a hold of Allison and you can do so through the empireranchfoundation.org. Do you have a, 
an email where they can reach you that's a business email, not a personal email? Yes, it's admin at empireranchfoundation.org. Admin at at empireranchfoundation.org. Right. Or on our website, there's a form that you can uh, contact us with. So that would be the way to do that. I should mention just briefly, Mike, that there is a Sonoida Inn in Sonoida and also quite a few nice B&Bs in the area. So we have links to some of those on our website if you want to stay local and enjoy the wineries because they are wonderful. Well, a lot of people do. And I got to wrap this up because we don't have a lot of time. A lot of people get down into southern Arizona and they get into the Sonoida area for the dark skies. So if you're a dark skies person, you want to get down with your telescope or your photography, you know, that's a great location for dark skies because Sonoida is a very small little town. And then once you're out of it, you can get up on Highway 83. You can get onto the, is the ranch open in the evening? Yes. So you can get onto the ranch in the parking lot and do some dark sky photography. It's just a gorgeous place. As always, I want to thank the folks over at the uh, Tombstone Epitaph. You can subscribe to that paper. $60 a year or $60 for three years is the best way to go. Gives you save $15. And if you want to become a subscriber, you do so at the tombstoneepitaph.com. I want to thank the folks at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. Um, phenomenal history, right to your fingertips, right to your door, and it's just so much. It's a quarterly publication, plus you get the Roundup, and you get so many other things with it. I urge you to check out and join the wildwesthistory.org. And and I actually urge you, to, I'm going to see what I can do to get involved, I urge you to check out the Empire Ranch Foundation, because they've got some wonderful programs that are going on. And if you, again, if you want to become a member, subscribe and help out financially, or even volunteer sometime, go to the EmpireRanchFoundation.org website. I know that I mention it a bunch. I mention it because I love the ranch, and I love getting down there and spending time on the ranch as much as I can, and just reconnecting back with Arizona history. As always, um, you know, if you're out there doing some cool stuff, make sure you get volunteer to a food bank. Um, money here goes a long way with the food bank. Uh, in my case, my charity of choice is the St. Mary's Food Bank in Phoenix, and they help serve all the food banks throughout Arizona. One dollar feeds seven people or creates seven meals. Five dollars is, you know, is 35 people. Fifty bucks is 350 meals or 350 people fed. There are just so many great things going on at the food bank. Um, and then just be good to each other. There's still a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. You know what? If your neighbor needs help bringing in a trash can or, you know, buying them a $10 gift card to Dutch Brothers here in Arizona or doing something nice for them, just go out and do something nice because, man, it just makes you feel so good. So if you uh, if you like the podcast, be sure to go on iTunes, give a rating and review, a five-star helps, and um, uh, subscribe. That helps me out too because I don't make any money at these podcasts. They're 100% for free and I do them just because I like to and I like to get out some history and learn a little bit. So uh, give iTunes a rating or review and I appreciate, appreciate you guys a bunch. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, and if you need to get a hold of me, one more thing. If you need to get a hold of me, you can do so on my blue collar email at HVACReferGuy. That's H-V-A-C-R-E-F-E-R guy for air conditioning refrigeration hvac reefer guy dot um 
at gmail.com. And that's honestly the best way to get a hold of me. And that's on my blue collar email channel or email at hvacreeferguy at gmail.com. Be good humans, and we'll see you next time.